research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, author of the new book, Red Handed, which I'm proud to say has been number one in the country for three straight weeks. I'm joined by my colleague, Eric Eggers, vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute, and a book author in his own right. Um, so let me ask you, how many of your books have been number one on the New York Times list? Oh, man, do I hate you so much right now. <laughs> no, but congratulations, uh, because it is. It's an awesome deal. It's an awesome accomplishment here for the Government Accountability Institute and the researchers that helped yeah. you work on your book. And it's it's an accomplishment for you. Uh, and I don't mind, you know, you bragging about the success of, of your book, because, uh, well, as, as president here at GAI, you are, as it turns out, actually relatively benign. Yeah. Okay. You, you have recently made us start saying everything to you three times in honor of your three-peat. <laughs> but other than that, there's nothing like too tyrannical, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, we'll see if that changes. If, it, if you get four four weeks in a row, we'll see. But um, Are you suggesting I'm moving in an authoritarian direction? This is a hint at the theme of today's podcast. Way to, way to just, like, get to. <laughs> It, you know, <laughs> you must be so romantic. <laughs> hey, no comment. Some subjects we will not cover on this podcast. But but, but, uh, but we have seen, to your point, an uptick in autocratic and authoritative behavior lately, right? Right. right. We have. And there's, there's always this discussion. That's a word that gets tossed around a, a lot, right? Authoritarian tyrants. And we're going to sort of peel the onion back today and talk a little bit about uh, what's going on. We're going to look at the situation in Canada and the situation in Ukraine and Russia. But I want us all to think today in the context of how tyrants actually operate, not the way they operate in the movies, but the way they operate in real life. And the fact of the matter is, is that tyrants often justify their own behaviors by ascribing pure motives to what they do. And that's going to be interesting when we get to the part about Justin Trudeau today. But the problem is not that a tyrant just says, I'm going to be a tyrant now. They have justifications and rationales that they use to approve it. Even a, a horrible individual like Adolf Hitler, who always gets invoked in these kinds of conversations, you know, explained to the people, it was completely warped and inaccurate and wrong, but explained, I'm doing this in the name of justice for the German people. So it's important to keep in mind that, that a lot of people, when they look at tyrants, ignore the fact that they oftentimes use rationale, and then they end up making excuses for other tyrants that are engaging in tyrannical behavior. Well, that was going to be the question that I ask is, so maybe it's not shocking that tyrants, you know, fall subject to like self-delusion yeah. uh, sensibilities and rationalizations, right? Right. But yeah, do you think that the behavior of when a tyrant does something, do other potential tyrants be like, oh, well, he's doing it, then maybe it's not that big of a deal because it seems like that's what's happening in the world today. We, we, Vladimir Putin's getting all the headlines in terms of what's about to happen and is happening in Ukraine, but he's hardly the only one. You mentioned Justin Trudeau, our neighbor just to the north. 
Uh, it's funny you said the thing about movies because remember how there was a stretch, I feel like, and maybe it still happens, but there was a stretch in the late 90s when there was always these copycat movies, right? We'd have like mm-hmm. one Volcano movie would come out, right, I think right. called like Cleverly Volcano. Right. And then like Dante's Pete came out. Right. And then there was like uh, Astro- the one with Bruce Willis, the asteroid movie. And then you, there was you need Deep to do Impact. a film review podcast, by the way. I don't remember any of these movies except now that you bring them up. Well, they, yeah, they but, do... but there's all these copycat yeah. films. And I feel yeah. like that's what's happening now with... Um, with Justin Trudeau, right? Well, maybe it starts with Joe Biden. He does some weird stuff with COVID. And it's like, from the producers that brought you the vaccine mandate in a world <laughs> where obedience is demanded and resistance is frozen. Ooh, yeah, ooh, right? Ooh. Um, here comes Maple Leaf Massacre. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is like, you know, a Canadian authoritarian is just not a phrase you ever think you're going to hear. But when you look through the history of the Trudeau family itself, yep. It does kind of start to make sense because one of the things you find out uh, with the Trudeau family, I, of course, write about this in Red Handed. Well, that, but, and that's this to make sure that people know that this is actually reporting. This is not something that people knew. Right. But the Trudeau family has an extensive and long history in China. And you expose that in your book. Yeah. And 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 what they have done, uh, beginning with Pierre Trudeau, is they, they oftentimes make excuses for the most barbaric behavior going on in other countries, particularly in Cuba, uh, but also in China over the course of decades. Uh, they've made excuses um, and described horrific events in really benign ways. Um, just to give you one example, uh, so Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister, and his brother, Alexander, went uh, on a trip with their father to China right after Tiananmen Square had happened. Not exactly a hotspot for tourism at the time. That, that's correct, correct. Nobody was going there, especially foreign political leaders, for obvious reasons. The estimates are some 10,000 people were slaughtered by the Chinese military. They were running tanks over people. Horrific. Well, uh, Alexander uh, described later the trip that he took with his dad, uh, and he said that his dad basically danced around the subject of Tiananmen Square when he was meeting with Chinese leaders. He said, quote, when called to speak, my father would invariably refer very delicately to the sad difficulties that China had recently faced. So a massacre of 10,000 people is a sad difficulty. They're almost treating it as sort of some natural disaster that randomly, but he's actually meeting with the guys who did it. Is that not also just trademark Canadian circumspection though? Right? Uh, it, it could be, but yeah. Pierre Trudeau was a guy who would get in the face of American presidents all the time over Vietnam and other events. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Very, very aggressive guy. And Justin Trudeau has kind of this same history when it comes to China. He, he famously was asked in 2012 when he was a member of parliament which foreign government he most admired. He didn't mention the United States. He didn't mention the UK. didn't mention Switzerland. He mentioned China. And in the full quote, we're going to play the audio here, but in the full quote, he says that he admires the quote-unquote basic dictatorship of China. There's a level of of, uh, admiration I actually have for China Um, because they're, you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start, you know, investing in solar. 
I would argue that that his mindset and his views on Cuba and China have influenced the current situation and the way he's handling it today and how he's justifying the behaviors that he's engaging in. Well, and I think there's some other stuff that is worth pointing out about the Trudeau family and not just like their admiration for the Chinese culture and their history, but actually the role that Chinese money has played in that family's political ascent. And I'd like you to talk about that. But to your point about the family and Cuba and China, when Fidel Castro passed away, oh. uh, Justin Trudeau was among the few world leaders, not, you know, the few world leaders of administrations that you wouldn't have considered to be communist right. to offer glowing and positive remarks about the Castro regime's impact on the Cuban people. Right. And, I mean, you talk about what's happening in Canada right now, and it's quite honestly totally bizarre. I mean, it is. you've been to Canada. Yeah. I've been to Canada. Many times. Yeah. You would you would not associate, I mean, you don't think about Canada as being a place where the stuff that's currently happening is happening. No, you don't. And also, uh, if you look at the media coverage, um, it's, it's really over the top. When you look at actually the videos of what was going on in Ottawa, uh, was there an inconvenience that the truckers were causing? Well, for some people they were. Yeah. And, and, and whatnot, but it was peaceful. It was a peaceful protest. This is the kind of, you know, civil disobedience that you associate with the civil rights movement in the United States. And Trudeau's response was he even had an unwillingness to meet with them. So the Trudeau family is happy to meet with Chinese leaders who just killed 10,000 of their own people with tanks in Tiananmen Square. But he won't meet, Justin Trudeau won't meet with Canadian truckers who, oh my God, they drove across the country and are now sitting near the, the seat of power to express their frustrations with uh, the restrictions that are being put on their lives. It's, it's, it's amazing to me, uh, the dichotomy here of what he the wonderful things he says about a tyrant like Fidel Castro uh, and the fact that he treats a ordinary Canadian trucker who's expressing his individual freedom and rights as some kind of horrible ogre that he's not even prepared to meet with. Yeah, but Peter, they were honking, okay? <laughs> lots and lots of honking, a cacophonous auditory <laughs> right. assault right. on the good, well-mannered Canadian people of right. downtown Ottawa. Right. Do you not think that that's a crime that should be answered for? No, of course it doesn't. But people, it's not even just about that, though, right? I mean, the things that are happening, in case people have not been paying attention, you've had Canadian truckers have their business accounts frozen, Unbelievable. Yeah. right? You've seen businesses, there's been video of this online, businesses that would give anybody that showed up at these protests right serve them coffee right give them attend to them in any way treat them like reasonable people those companies are being shut down yeah bank accounts are being frozen and the auto police have admitted that uh anybody that, that has showed up at these protests officials are quote actively looking to identify them and impose financial sanctions and criminal charges now hunt them down hunt They're them hunting, down yeah i mean like it's so bizarre that in a you know we always joke about like the mounted police officers being yeah. wildly respectful and the mounties yeah yeah and these are people, no, no, we're we're like the CIA. We're looking for you right now. Yeah, no, no, they're hunting them down. And by the way, this is, again, reminiscent of what goes on in China. Now, you know, to be clear, I'm not saying Canada is China. What I am saying is that Trudeau is carrying out policies and, that are reminiscent of what happens in communist countries, which is you don't just go after uh, the person that you allege, in this case, broke the law meaning the trucker you actually go after the people that are one step removed or even two steps removed for the most minor uh, uh support for those individuals i read about a canadian later who donated fifty dollars right to the and and had her her account seized simply because she made a fifty dollar legal contribution 
to an organization, the the attitude that Trudeau has taken is it's not just about the truckers. It's anybody who has a sympathy for the truckers and provided any semblance of any kind of support. Well, and it's worth pointing out, interestingly enough, and it's so I mean, your book always is amazing. Your books, how they seem Can to have I an ability you on that. No, no, <laughs> but they, have, they seem to have an ability to look, look around the corner. And it just I mean, it couldn't be more relevant today. You've got, you, you know, this is stuff you wrote. A year ago plus, right? right? right. The thing about yep. the Trudeau family in China and now yep. you look at what's happening here. But the fact that they, that Canada is able to do that, the fact that Canada is able to freeze bank accounts and they're able to use data to try to find these protesters, it's because they've invoked something called the Emergencies Act. Who was the only ever, ever leader of Canada to invoke the Emergencies Act? You told me this. This blew me away. Trudeau's father, Pierre. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. So you have, uh, so to be clear, his father was the uh, prime minister of Canada from the late 60s to the early 80s. So we're talking, it's been 40 years. Yeah, don't say that, it makes me feel since old. he Since he was prime minister, yeah. uh, I think he invoked them in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. So what is that? That's 50 years. You've had a number of Canadian prime ministers between that none of them saw fit to use it the only two that did are trudeau senior and his son and both of them i would argue have this soft spot for foreign tyrants i think those those instincts and those events are connected i think that's insightful and i I, need to get to the canadian uh or hit the trudeau family's receipt of chinese money and how that's played the the role in the ascent of their power but to the extent that like tyranny is uh, contagious and you say how like the the behavior of one tyrant can influence the behavior of another maybe the fact that the Trudeau, the father, the senior invoked it, influenced his son's willingness to use it, right? No, I, I think that's a great point. And, and the problem that, that a guy like Trudeau has, uh, I'm talking now about Justin Trudeau, but certainly applied to his father, is uh, there's this smugness. Uh, that, that but they, if you had that kind of hair, like if I had that kind of hair, come on. I mean, Gavin Newsom wishes he had that hair. Right. Pierre. Are you talking about when he had the, the afro on with the black face, or are you talking about his natural hair? <laughs> I would say the natural hair. Is, yeah, his natural hair. I, yeah. re- I resent and reject everything you're doing in terms of how you're running the country, Mr. Trudeau, but your hair is immaculate. <laughs> I am jealous. It is. It is impressive. But he has this uh, supreme confidence that that he's on the right side of everything yeah. and and to me that's the beginning of a authoritarian impulse because that's when you start justifying and rationalizing that well you need more power because stuff needs to get done and that that's essentially what he said when it came to fidel castro that yeah fidel castro made some mistakes yeah he he assassinated and killed a lot of his fellow countrymen he set up torture chambers and everything but he was trying to do the right thing so his motive was good that's kind of where Justin Trudeau is he certainly is not a Castro he's certainly not a Mao but he is moving in an authoritarian direction and it's stunning to me that the media does not want to discuss the vast overreach that's taking place right now over a trucker protest right, right. It's, it does seem like there are greater offenses the citizenry may at one point inflict upon the government yeah I mean this is this was not a terrorist uh, attack yeah this was not a armed insurrection it was guys in trucks and, and this is the overreaction that you get. And, and this, to me, bodes uh, in a very serious way uh, for the future of Canada, because now the precedent has been set that for a political protest that's nonviolent, this is the action that you can take.
No, and we've seen like we've seen a violent reaction in terms of people being trampled by horses. I think we've seen yeah. pe- people have died yeah. as part of the reaction to it. So no, it's it's a wildly uh, uncomfortable precedent, and it is kind of crazy to think. And we'll get to the this is a transition to the Putin stuff, but I mean think about what's happening in the world, right? You got Vladimir Putin potentially invading yeah. another country, yeah, uh, another democratic area, right, or at least another sovereign nation. You've got people that run what we thought was a relatively democratic free bastion in Canada, and all of a sudden the rules seem to be changing and what do they have in common? They do have ties or connections or, or exposure to this Chinese mindset. Just talk briefly about what, what reporting do you have in your book about the Trudeau family and their receipt of, of Chinese money and, and why does that matter? Well, it's it's a long history. Uh, you know, Pierre Trudeau, prime minister, opened up relations with China, yeah. uh, wrote a book that was over the top in praising Maoist China and this was the, the wave of the future for humankind, all that kind of crap. Uh, when he leaves the prime ministership, uh, he s- joins a law firm and a company and his job is basically to get people deals in, in mainland China. And he can show up there and he can meet with Zhu and Lai or any of the people that are leading the country because he has such a good, cozy relationship with them that he makes deals happen. Uh, then you sort of flash forward to his children, his son, Alexander, that would be Justin Trudeau's brother, who was also a foreign policy advisor to Justin Trudeau for a while, uh, wrote a, another over-the-top book talking about how wonderful China is and how misunderstood it is and how we can learn a lot from how China governs itself and apply it to Canada. Uh, really ridiculous stuff. But then Justin Trudeau's political rise, he has commercial deals, but he actually got campaign donations from uh, Chinese Canadians who are linked to what are called United Front Groups. These are uh, political organizations linked to the Chinese Communist Party. So there are deep abiding financial ties. Um, and of course, he said very uh, many favorable things ab- about China. And the problem is now that he's lost his immoral authority. Right. Uh, the next time they crack down on protesters in China, with trucks or without, what's he going to say? Yeah. What's he going to say when Beijing comes in with the cops and they trample them with horses and they uh, seize them and, and, and take their private property? I mean, wh- what's he going to say? He has no moral standing at all. Well, and more importantly, um, or just as importantly, again, to the theme of tyranny being contagious. Yes. Think about what happened when Vladimir Putin was asked about what, hey, talk about some of the human rights issues you're having when Putin and Biden, they had that <laughs> gathering. What did Putin say? He's like, well, I've, I've seen on TV what you guys are doing in America yes. with your social gatherings and you got the police crackdown, you got the Black Lives Matter stuff. So they clearly use any level of social unrest in any other place right. to rationalize their own behavior. Yeah. China's done it. Russia does it too. Yeah, there there are justifiable reasons, obviously, where you need to have the police. There's an unsafe protest. There's violence going on. What the truckers were doing had no resemblance to to the craziness that went on in Portland, Oregon in, the, in uh, 2020, the Black Lives Matter protests in yeah. Detroit, they were actually burning things down. They tried to burn down a federal courthouse. They were physically assaulting people. I don't see any reports. Maybe I missed it. I didn't hear any reports of any violence of a bunch of truckers going through Ottawa, you know, <laughs> pulling people off the street or you know, burning down. Uh, none of that was taking place. So 
the point is, is there are justifiable means and reasons for doing this in some instances. The problem in Canada, it doesn't apply and it blurs it for tyrants like Putin. So now Putin is going to equate if he ends up going into all of Ukraine and takes Kiev and there are peaceful protesters in Kiev and he sends in the police to uh, to bust heads and to throw them into jail, uh, that what's happening in Canada is a precursor that blurs it for somebody like Putin to be able to say, well, we're just doing here what Justin Trudeau did in Ottawa you know, eight months ago or a year ago. So speaking of Putin, um, obviously there's been the Olympics have just occurred in China and Putin and Xi had a famous sort of summit and meeting ahead of that. Right. Do you think there's any correlation or is it purely coincidence that China and Russia appear to be growing closer and then Russia appears to be more overtly, uh, unashamedly authoritative in terms of their moves, specifically as it relates to Ukraine? Yeah, I think they're strengthening each other. And this is why I think the Biden sanctions that he's imposed on Russia. I mean, I'm glad he did something, uh, but he didn't do a lot. But one of the reasons they're not going to be terribly effective, in my mind, is because China and Russia are moving closer. And look at these two countries. You've got Russia, who has all this vast stores of mineral and energy uh, that they want to sell to Europe. Uh, And you've got uh, and and of course, they produce a lot of food products as well in Russia. Uh, And then you've got China, which has none of those. They have to import most of their food. They have to import most of their energy. But what they do have is a lot of money, uh, a lot of products and a lot of capital to invest. So this is a marriage. Well, they have 117 billion dollar oil and gas agreement, right? Exactly. They've, They've already started. So. This is the beginning of what I think is going to be a marriage uh, that's going to be quite effective and quite potent. And this is why the idea that Joe Biden had that, well, we're just going to slap some mild sanctions on Russia and this is going to deal with it is not going to be effective. And and just to bring it back to domestic issues and why anybody that's listening to this should care, because, yeah, okay, what happens in and we joked earlier when we were talking about how people have a tendency to dismiss things that. You know, if it doesn't fit into your ideological kind of framework, right? Like some conservatives are being a little bit soft on Putin, maybe because for whatever yeah, reason, yeah. just as the left is going to be soft on China, like the guys like, right. oh, the Uyghur situation is below my line. But why I think all everybody should be concerned is think about, and if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back. It's a couple episodes ago, but we did a podcast. One of the first ones we did from your book is you're reporting on Silicon Valley and their level of attraction to the Chinese mindset and just their total control they have you got mark zuckerberg having books of g quotes on his book because he wanted and giving those books to his employees because they want them to become familiar with quote you know principles of chinese socialism right right exactly and he's offering g to name his kid give it a chinese name but you feel like the people in silicon valley are attracted to the control that yeah. Communist China has. Yeah. I mean, what you find with all these authoritarians, whether it's Xi, whether it's Putin or these impulses now we're seeing from Trudeau, there is this underlying arrogance and belief uh, that they are smarter and they have unique insight that nobody else has. And they are going to be able to fix and solve all kinds of problems. Right. They put it in those terms if they're just given enough power. And that becomes the rationale. And you see that mindset in Silicon Valley. They don't like the things that some people say. Uh, and so they want to censor them. And they feel like, well, I have the power and I have the authority to do it. And I have a unique uh, understanding that the great unwashed masses don't have 
It's it's a horrible uh, example of hubris, but it's growing and it grows when it succeeds. So if Justin Trudeau gets away successfully with what he's done, it's going to embolden other people's authoritarian impulses uh, in a way that's going to make them more aggressive. And I'm not just talking about Vladimir Putin. I'm talking about people in the United States and I'm talking about people in Silicon Valley. Well, right. And these are commercial products that we rely on. But A, Silicon Valley isn't isn't unimpactful and uninfluential when it comes to shaping U.S. government policies. Yeah. And B, I mean, there's the policies that the government set and there's the policies that the businesses that we use set. Yeah. And so I think to your point, it could become, I mean, who knows, but I think it's this is a cultural strain that is only growing in the United States and it's not a positive trend. Yeah, it's not a positive trend. It's it's a reflection that in a lot of instances, what you're talking about today is people that don't have political or economic ideas they have sort of a religious view of the world not in the traditional judeo-christian sense but in the religious view of the world and this is best reflected to me in a in a a quote i found years ago and i've always kept uh from jean paul sartre the the uh the french uh, writer who i think is vastly overrated uh but was he he was very much a man of the left and what happened was all these crimes the crimes of stalin the crimes of of the vietnamese communists were coming to fore uh, and this is what he said in the in the face of all of this evidence to keep hope alive. One must, in spite of all the mistakes, horrors and crimes, recognize the superiority of the socialist camp. So, in other words, I'm going to ignore all the evidence and I'm going to stick true to my ideas. And I think that's where Trudeau is. I think that's where Vladimir Putin is. And the only way you can check authoritarians is by being firm and relentless in standing up for your rights and doing the right thing. You know, this is why Peter Schweitzer, you never see him coming. My man's walking around in Orvis like he owns stock in the company and he's dropping Sart quotes, you know, with the quickness. And I'd love to make fun of you for it. But then, you know, you got a three times in a row, number one bestseller or so. You know, if anybody else out there trying to achieve this level, you know, just read more Sart, guys. (laughs) Don't, don't read more Sart. Uh, But thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate uh, very much your support for the book. Uh, You can learn more about the book and the media we've been doing at redhandedbook.com. You can also find all of our podcasts and other articles that we post at thedrilldown.com. Thanks so much for joining us.